Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Nature Careers podcast. I'm Julie Gould. This month we're talking PhDs, how to keep your spirits up whilst doing one. Doing a Lego grad student, part of what I've really gained from it beyond having people enjoy it is uh, remembering to have a separate kind of time and space to relax and do something that you don't feel guilty doing, just something enjoyable. How to do one efficiently. It's never too late to take this lean road and to think about how you can make your PhD not so much of an isolating experience, but to make it something that's uh, trying to add value, uh, that's trying to create impact, and that's doing this by integrating as many enthusiastic experts and scholars and also students into your PhD endeavour. And what some people from the 2018 London Nature Jobs Career Expo think about when they're looking for the next steps after their PhD. So it'd be really good to try and see what different things are out there in different, in different countries as well, not just in the UK. Now, the life of a PhD student is not always a happy one. As Nature's 2017 PhD survey demonstrated, there's the stress of your PhD surviving on a modest stipend, the emotional pressures and concerns about academic career paths, staying in academia or moving to other sectors. The list goes on. The Lego grad student is the anonymous alter ego of a graduate student whose social media posts capture these highs and lows of graduate student life in the medium of photographed Lego scenes. The posts really resonate with his 58-odd thousand Twitter followers. So you can join them by going to at Lego Grad Student on Twitter, and he's also got a Tumblr page. But first, Jack Gleaming finds out a little bit more about how it all got started. So, uh, Lego Grad Student, welcome to the, to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Very happy to be here. What's your favourite portrait? Oh, that's hard to say. I don't know. It's very hard for me to pick a favourite post or a favorite picture with a caption. Uh, there's several that I suppose really strike at personal experiences that I've had, especially ones involving advisors. Which, which you feel, you feel is one of those rare things where you feel slightly guilty at laughing. Cause like I said, they are shard and throw heavy, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at this little Lego character, but I feel to some extent I'm laughing at uh, an extension of you. So I, I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. That wasn't how it started, but knowing that it can help anyone, uh, I'm very happy with letting people laugh at 
some of my misfortunes. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's very kind. They are like quite dark. Some of these, uh, like having no one on Valentine's Day, or having your grandmother not listen to you, or having hideous relationships with your supervisors, or not having enough food, or generally being depressed, too depressed to get your your trousers on. Are, are those the breadth of your experiences? If you don't mind me asking. They're all to some extent, I would say, most of them would be slightly exaggerated reflections of my life. My life isn't as quite as dismal as some of the posts <laughs> might suggest. Uh, but it usually is really an idea that might be based on something I could have experienced, but trying to crank it up to 11, I suppose, in terms of some humor or emotional value. But I would say most things on those posts, uh, at least tangentially, have something to do with personal experiences. So, um, I mean, um, we're talking about personal experiences there, but, but you prefer to stay anonymous, right? Um, could you explain just a little bit about well, why? Well, at the very beginning when I began this, it was really just a personal joke, and I maintained it just on my own Facebook page. Uh, but some of my friends told me I should post them online. So I did, and I didn't make it a point originally to keep it anonymous. But I eventually realized that oh, maybe I don't want my committee members to know <laughs> that I'm doing this. Um, so maybe I'll remain anonymous. Uh, they found out later. It was fine. But the other part was as soon as I started having people follow me that I didn't know, um, it seemed like uh, scholars across all different disciplines were really enjoying them in a way that I didn't expect. And I think I realized that part of the anonymity of what I was doing, of not saying who I was or what I studied, gave more people sort of the emotional access to connect with those posts because they're not thinking about who's the person who made them, what's, what's it really reflecting. So, I mean, it's, it's obvious what other people get out of it. They're that kind of uh, that comfort of knowing that they're not mm -hmm. alone. But what do, you, what do you get out of it? Well, this all really started because I loved playing with Lego bricks when I was a child, and I had to give away my Lego collection when I was a child, or as a teenager, I suppose. Uh, so this really began when I had a pretty, what I thought was a devastating meeting with my advisor in the late stages of my dissertation. And it ended up being okay, but I was in this just sort of emotional spiral of my own, and I wanted a way to distract myself from work because my work just wasn't going well. And I naturally found myself drifting back to wanting a Lego collection. So it was really that which inspired me to go to a shopping mall to buy a large set um, of a Lego set and construct it and then immediately de deconstruct it and just start playing again in a way that I hadn't since I was a teenager. And I just got naturally led into, I suppose, reflecting the feelings I was having at that time using the Lego medium. And that's what sort of led to the origins of Lego grad student. Do you think that could be used as, a, as some kind of advice for others who are struggling with their, their graduate studies? Do you think there's a wider lesson there? Oh, absolutely. At least for, uh, through my own experience, I think doing Lego grad students Part of what I've really gained from it beyond having people enjoy it is uh, remembering to have a separate kind of time and space to relax and do something that you don't feel guilty doing, just something enjoyable. Um, for the last couple years before I started Lego grad student, I think I'd really forgotten to give myself permission to take 
actual breaks. I got into this mindset where if you're not spending time working, then you're not being productive and you're going to fail, et cetera, et cetera, um, even when my work wasn't going well. And it was by accidentally stumbling into Lego building again that I remembered how kind of rejuvenating and how healthy it really is to have something that you're willing to do on the side that distracts you from your everyday work and that overall that could actually help you in the long run uh, just be a happier person, which also means a more effective scholar. Uh, any advice you'd give to audience? Uh, any shout outs? Anything at all? Uh, I would ask people who are listening who might be fans of LEGO grad students just, just know that what I post isn't always a direct reflection of my life. It's not an autobiographical or kind of diary-based uh, account. <laughs> so um, there's no need to worry about me. Anytime I do post something that seems a little darker, it's not like I'm going through those, that darkness every single day. Um, I appreciate the concerns some people might have. Yeah, the second piece of advice is I think one of the biggest shocks from Lego grad student when I realized it would become, it was becoming something larger than I anticipated was when people would leave messages saying, um, I'm so happy to know that I'm not alone in this feeling. And I guess when I started this, because I wasn't planning on having other people see it, I sort of assumed that most people would have others that they could talk to, that they could relate these experiences with. But it seemed like a lot of people were getting benefits out of it because they were feeling completely alone in their misfortune. Um, so I, I guess one piece of advice I'd really want to give is that I hope people in graduate programs make a lot of effort, not just in their academic work, but to find people around them in their personal lives, especially in their own field or in their own department that they're willing to be open with, like actual friends, not just acquaintances or professional kind of partners, someone that they can really talk to and share their own insecurities and kind of get through things together. Uh, because I think as much as I hope LEGO grad student can do that in a digital remote way, um, one of the biggest helps in my own personal life, and I think in most people's lives, hopefully, is to have someone or multiple people that they can kind of share the struggle with in an open way. Um, and I think I, as much as I thought that was important before I started LEGO grad student, I'm even more convinced now that I was very lucky with my own experience and that I think other people should be on the lookout for that to help them get through their academic career as well. Thank you. I think that's a, a really powerful message. One last question. I mean, at the risk of sounding like your Lego grad student, Lego family, you've been doing this for a while. Uh, is there any chance of Lego faculty? I have been asked this question, and I'm the more I'm asked about it, the more I'm really thinking about it. My standard answer, and I'm still sticking to it now, is uh, it's completely possible, but I think it will be very much contingent on what happens in my own life and how much time I have to keep doing this and how much distance I have from my own experiences to find it humorous. Great. Well, um, Lego grad student, thank you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. A startup, a PhD. They might seem worlds apart, but there actually are quite a few similarities between them. Over the last few years, a movement called the Lean Startup has been used very widely amongst startup founders as a way to grow effectively and efficiently. In 2015, I spoke to Steve Blank, one of the thought leaders in the Lean Startup method, about how useful it can be for scientists. It, it turns out that you might be a domain expert in your science and you have some notion of, oh, this would be applicable in the petrochemical industry or you'd, this would be in, you know, in the pharmaceutical business. Well, great. Tell me all about that business. Well, I don't really know all about that business. Okay. Guess what? You now need to know about that business. Well, I'm not a petrochemical expert. That's great. You're a smart scientist and researcher. It doesn't. Well, I'll just go to the library and look it up or I'll hire some proxy to go do that. It turns out that that's where these things fail is that you personally need to get involved and understand that industry and those people you're going to be selling to. And specifically, you need to understand all the way down to the detail of those customers that you think are going to be buying this. You need to like be looking them in the eyes and watching their pupils dilate when you actually describe what product and service you think you're going to be offering them and watch their reactions. And if you think you're right, this will take five minutes, right? You'll make a couple phone calls and they'll jump all over you and write you checks. The reality is usually not that pretty. The reality is the people you think should love this, you're going to learn you're calling on the wrong people or they already have this or they're not interested in the features you think are important. And that is the learning process, particularly if you do that inexpensively before you raise money. By the time you do raise money, you know what the right path is because you've tested a bunch of the wrong paths. And this just takes time but not much money. Before Julian Kircher started his academic career, he worked in the private industry and he actually was a founder of his very own startup. It didn't work out, but he then moved into academia and less than two years after starting his PhD, he became an assistant professor at the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands. Earlier this year, he published a book called The Lean PhD in which he describes how he applied his experiences from running a startup to his PhD and how that meant that he could complete it in less than two years. Many PhD students in my department would only go out to start field research um, after a year or one and a half years of reading academic literature. I said, well, there's certainly much to be learned within this academic literature, but at the same time, um, I also really want to understand my issues from the ground. So I started collecting my first data after four or five months into the PhD, started doing first exploratory interviews to get a deeper feeling of what's really happening out there. And also I started collecting feedback from those practitioners and also from scholars based on early drafts I developed after a few months throughout my PhD already. And I was very happy that those people, especially including my supervisors, were always willing to provide feedback on those early dirty drafts. But that feedback was so instrumental in accelerating my PhD journey. And when I say accelerating, I don't mean doing it very quickly. But what I think is also very much key in the approach is to produce a quality that's much, much higher than what I could have produced otherwise. Because all this feedback I collected really helped me to put out papers out there that are well-rounded and that have a lot of perspectives in there and a lot of depth. You mentioned the, the lean approach. Describe what, what that lean approach is and how does it apply to a PhD? The lean approach in the startup world basically rests on three pillars again. And, and that first pillar is the end user and um, is about focusing your energy, focusing your activities on the needs of your end user, right? And then second, 
How you do that is via what's called a minimum viable product, an MVP. And the MVP basically is a prototype that you try to produce as quickly as possible, a prototype that just features the core features of what you're trying to build as a business. And you, you put that out there to the end user, and then you collect feedback from that end user in order to improve it. And that's basically the third component, is rapid prototyping. And rapid prototyping basically means that you put your MVP out there to the end user as quickly as possible. You collect feedback from the end user and use that feedback to improve your product. So it's basically build, measure, learn loops that you enter again and again uh, until you've created a product that's really what, what your end user wants, right? Who are the end users of the PhD and, and do they vary throughout the PhD time? The end user differs from stage to stage in your PhD, and this is true no matter if you do one in the social or natural scientist. So I think of the PhD in three phases. You have a launch phase, you have an execution phase, and you have an exiting phase. And in that launch phase, the core question is, what university will I do my, my PhD at? And then the end user you have to think about is the supervisor that's usually most instrumental in, in getting you into that PhD program in that university. So you need to cater to what your supervisor is keen in, in pursuing. And also you need to gather as much as possible feedback when developing a research proposal from that prospective supervisor. The execution phase of the PhD, um, the core end user there is the journal and that applies for both natural and social sciences. You have to think about, um, yeah, what can I do to make sure that the kind of work I carry out is as applicable as possible. And, and then for the final phase of the PhD, the exiting phase, the end user is the assessor of your PhD. And again, that's true for the natural and social sciences. And what I talked about now is, is all kind of like the academic end users. What's also very important to me in this entire lean PhD approach is that any PhD student no matter what subject you're in, doesn't just think about what's my academic end user. I think it gets really exciting also for the PhD student pursuing this PhD when they also think about, well, what's my societal end user, right? It's always worth thinking about, okay, um, who could be somewhere out there um, who's not part of the academic world that may be interested in the research I'm doing and that may then also help me to produce something that's really a win-win. And with win-win, I then mean something that's valuable for the academic world, but something that also has some impact for the practical world. And so you did your PhD in geography. Now, many of our listeners will be natural scientists. So how does this lean PhD approach translate from this geography to the natural sciences? My hypothesis is, admittedly, I haven't tested it, but my hypothesis would be that the lean PhD approach is also quite applicable in the natural sciences. Just two concrete examples of the core elements we discussed of this lean startup, lean PhD approach. I think number one, the minimum viable product, right? I think that's also something that can be implemented in the natural sciences. And I think that the core question you have to ask yourself then is what's really the smallest scale at which I can design an experiment to see if that yields any results, to see if that gains any traction, uh, to have something that, that I can put out there for feedback, right? And I think that's also possible within the natural sciences. And then second, this entire idea of rapid prototyping, of collecting feedback from everyone around you that's an expert or that's interested in your field. I think that's also something natural scientists can do. What advice do you have for anyone who is either already partway through a PhD or for those who are thinking about a PhD but are slightly daunted by the fact that it could take them quite a while to do it? PhD is such a complex animal. So much can happen along the way that's unexpected. I think no matter what approach you take, there's no guarantees you're going to do it fast. So I would say 
no matter where you are within your PhD, it's never too late to take this lean road and to think about how you can make your PhD not so much of an isolating experience, but to make it something that's uh, trying to add value, uh, that's trying to create impact, and that's doing this by integrating as many enthusiastic experts and scholars and also students into your PhD endeavor. I, I very much believe it's really going to re-energize your PhD endeavor and it's going to make your PhD definitely a much more pleasant experience, not necessarily a much, much faster experience, but definitely a much more pleasant experience. Great, Julian. Thank you very much. If you're interested in learning more about how to apply the Lean Method to your own PhD, check out Julian's book. It's available on Amazon and also direct from Macmillan and Palgrave Publishers. Now, earlier this month, the Nature Jobs team hosted its annual Nature Jobs Career Expo in London, and I went along to find out what the PhD researchers who attended were looking for whilst they were there. I spoke to about 20 different PhD researchers, but these four different people summed it up quite nicely. My name is Zana Salter, and I work at the uh, Sanger Institute at the moment. I'm an advanced research assistant and going around today having a look at sort of what's available, especially jobs that are available abroad. Why is your interest in moving abroad? Looks like I'm coming up on a, a change of position at the moment and sort of considering options around about. I could either stay local or maybe look at something further afield and um, I don't know, it's just it sounds like an interesting an interesting opportunity. What have you found at the expo that looks of interest to you? It looks like there's quite a lot of opportunities in Brazil, which I thought sounded quite interesting because I actually speak some Portuguese, which that would be quite interesting um, to look at. And Germany looks really interesting as well, actually. There's a lot of German representation here today, but obviously no one seems to know what's going to happen for us wanting to go abroad to work in the next few years. I'm Hannah Jones and I'm a PhD student at the University of Bath. Um, there's so many different stands here, so it'd be really good to try and see what different things are out there and different, in different countries as well, not just in the UK. What particular countries are you interested in? I'm looking to stay within Europe, but I'm not too fussy, so I'm just starting to write my thesis now, so I'm just at the point of looking for different postdoc positions. So, yeah, just anywhere, really. Anywhere where there's um, a job that's appropriate for me, really, with my skill set and what I'm interested in, yeah. So obviously Brexit is looming or not yeah. uh, at some point next year. How are you feeling about that? I think it does make things uncertain, but I don't think it, it means that... It will make things more difficult, but it's not put me fully off. Like It doesn't mean there's a complete closed border, you know? And I think it's silly to just shut off all those opportunities without actually taking into account what else is out there. So, yeah, I'm still open to moving abroad, regardless of Brexit. Yeah, so can, Thank you very much. I hope that's OK. <laughs> Okay, my name is Maria Gutierrez and I'm doing a PhD at Cranfield University. I'm at the end of my second year. I'm going to finish my PhD in one year. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm not really sure if I want to go to the academia or I want to go to the industry. So I was hoping to find here like a little bit about both sides and then try to make up my mind and try to find maybe some opportunities or some interesting places where I can go or I can, for example, the companies that I can go and ask for opportunities once I finish because now maybe it's too early. And so far? It has been quite good because we have been talking with MBL and they were getting us really useful information about training and all of those kind of things. 
Well, we have also been, to been talking with the Spanish one because we are from Spain and it's not a bad option to come back to Spain. Also from German. So you're really looking quite broad in terms of location? Yes. Where you want to go? Yes. Okay. Any, At the moment? Any particular reason why so broad? Like why is international so important? Not really. I mean, I have. I'm from Spain, I already moved to the UK. If it's a good opportunity, I don't really mind going to any other places, even staying here in the UK. My name is Gaston Primo, and I'm a third-year PhD student at Cornell University of London. And I'm originally from Argentina, South America. I'm at very last stages of my PhD, so I have like five months to go. So I'm in that like uh, interface between like finishing my PhD and just trying to move to the next step. Here you have like quite a good mixture, uh, like um, both like good equilibria between academia and industry, and how you can just uh, try to move forward to the next step, but not only in the academia side. Now that's it for this episode. In November, we'll be speaking to some of the winners of the inaugural Nature Research Inspiring and Innovating Science Award winners after they are announced at the end of this month. In the meantime, you can check out our Nature Careers adventures and stories on our website at nature.com forward slash careers, on Twitter at Nature Jobs and on Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 